We're in the midst of the deadliest avian flu outbreak in US history, with the knock-on effect of squeezing egg supply. Combined with high commodity feed prices and labor shortages, the price of eggs has surged. This is yet another issue that has highlighted the need to diversify and add resilience to food production, something that Acremade is stepping up to plug with its plant-based egg powders that are nutritionally comparable to traditional eggs and functional in multiple applications, but are price-stable and meet the growing demand for sustainable products. We caught up with Acremade CEO Nicole Atchison to unscramble their current egg situation and to learn more about the developments that are fast gaining traction with both consumers and the industry alike. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. Firstly, can you tell us of the current state of affairs of the global egg market and how it got here? Well, if you think about what we've really experienced in the media over the last three to four months, there's been more media attention on eggs than there ever has been, at least in my lifetime. And Mm -hmm. so I, I have a perspective, you know, of a certain period of time, but never have I seen as much attention to the egg market as we have right now. And especially leading up into the holiday season at the end of last year, um, there was, uh, you know, conversations about eggs on on every different channel from print to TV to you name it. And that was really driven by what is turning into be one of the largest uh, global animal health crises that we've that we've seen. Uh, last year in the United States, 58 million uh, birds were infected with avian flu. And when when they're infected in commercial stocks, that means that they're they're then killed, and every other bird in the in the flock is also has to be culled. And so this has put uh, incredible pressure on the supply system. And when you take that many birds out of the supply system, it has it has ramifications. So if we back up to you know almost a year ago today, that that's really when the 2022 avian influenza cases started. Um, started showing up in the U.S. And they, there was another um, avian flu outbreak in 2015, and then there was another one, I think it was 2008. But typically, they kind of peak in the spring, and then by by summer, they the cases have dramatically declined, and it essentially is over. So it's kind of a short-term spring during the annual kind of bird migration north that's when it was popping up. So that was kind of the expectation last year too, that it would it would peak and it would subside. Uh, but what happened last year was was different. The cases continued to show up in in uh, commercial flocks, in wild birds, all year long, and it just continued to the numbers continued to escalate. And we started to see in other world areas too. So in the UK. Uh, you know, cases started to show up, and in South in South America and Latin America, cases are are starting to show up. So it's gone, and you know, it's now becoming really a, a global a global issue. And as people are looking at the market now, um, there's not certainty on if it will continue to to come back this year at the same level, or if it will be more transitory like in the past. I think there's a lot of uncertainty about that, but 
you know, a lot of the experts are saying that this is something that may be just the new reality because of the transmission of avian flu into wild birds, that this could just be what is now kind of status quo. And we need to think about other layers of protection. So the consumer has felt this in a lot of ways. So I can't speak to egg prices in every in every place in the world. But in the United States, we saw um, the price of a dozen eggs at retail go, you know, increase two to three, sometimes four times over the course of the year, you know, peaking in that November, December time period uh, right before the holidays. And there there were eggs in California as high as $18 a dozen. And in, you know, the middle of America, you know, five to six for a dozen eggs, which is unheard of, you know, eggs are a, a very affordable protein. And so this, you know, impact to the consumer at the store level is what really garnished a lot of media attention. But the supply chain had been impacted all year long. And these um, these impacts continued to build from avian flu to the price of animal feed inputs. So corn, soy, what's used to feed the chickens have been at record highs. And all of these things really uh, combine into, you know, what we're seeing now, which is eggs at the center of attention for being extremely expensive and mm. maybe not available. Can this flu be passed on to humans and it, it, would it be dangerous? So I'm not a, you know, I'm not an expert on animal diseases, but, it, you know, avian flu has not historically been passed on to ma- mammals, at least in, in large in large amounts. And so recently, this year, actually, in, in January, there was there were some seals in Paraguay that um, did get avian flu. And I mm-hmm. think there was around 600 of them that died from it. And that was notable, uh, not only because of the animal suffering, but because it because they're mammals. And so it was trans uh, the avian flu was, you know, spread to them. And there's been a, a handful, you know, just, just a few cases of transmission to humans as of late. And so there's one uh, one person in the United States that has um, actually got avian flu. And I think I saw recently there was two people in Cambodia. So the numbers are, inc- are really low. Uh, one of the big differences about with avian flu with then some of the other diseases that we see in animals is that it's, it's got a very high mortality rate. So in birds, if a bird gets infected with avian flu, it gets very sick and it ha- does have a high mortality rate, which mm-hmm. does limit the transmission um, to other animals because the virus doesn't have as much time. But they're starting to see transmission from mammals who maybe are you know, scavenging on dead carcasses and just other ways of transmission. And, and I think this is probably where there's a lot of concern of, you know, we don't really know what we don't know yet because it's at a at a level that we haven't seen before. So we're learning every day. So there's a lot of, of groups around the world that are keeping a close eye on this um, from the CDC to, you know, the animal health organizations globally to try to keep t- tabs on how it is, uh, you know, migrating from different species and how it's changing. What is forecast? Is it going to continue in the foreseeable future or are you hoping that it will be broken come this spring? I think everyone, you know, everyone in the in the animal system hopes that it will that it'll subside. But I, there's a lot of un, unknowns. And if, if I knew the answer to that, uh, mm. I would be in a great position. Um, but I think it's I don't think we do know. And, you know, there's groups who think this is the new reality. There's there's others who think, oh, it, it'll 
subside. But uh, the reality is, is it's highlighted and, and really spotlighted the fragility of, of systems that are based on intensive animal farming practices. And it's putting, you know, even more pressure on the, the hope and the commitments that a lot of, of retailers, brands, states, countries have made to transition from, you know, cage-based farming systems where the animals are, are put in cages for most of their lives to cage-free. You know, and this, these have been big commitments that have been made over the past five to 10 years. And, you know, avian flu is putting additional pressure on actually meeting those goals. In fact, many, many places are not expected to meet their, their milestones of, of transitioning to cage-free, which consumers are, you know, very strongly in favor of. And so I, I think that there's going to be ramifications beyond just, you know, the the current, you know, what's happening right now, but also how how does the industry think about some of the pledges that have been made in the past to move to a more, um, you know, animal-friendly environment for, for their lives uh, because of the cost and additional risk of having the, the birds being able to be more mobile. And I think that's that's pretty unfortunate for the system because I, consumers want that, um, but it's it's going to be harder to get the investment from the companies in the system. And that's really, you know, all of these all of these things are why um, egg alternatives exist and why there's a market for that uh, because people are looking, you know, people brands manufacturers are looking for resilient products that have you know, some level of price stability so they can forecast their costs and, and plan appropriately, but also are looking to check the boxes of, you know, products that um, are have positive benefits to animals, whether that's, you know, pasture-raised eggs or, or maybe an animal-free egg where hmm. you're able to use plants and get the same benefits. And that's really, you know, the genesis of why we started our product is to be able to address some of the the consumer wants in a different fashion and use the power of plants to do that. What do all these challenges mean for the food industry and specifically for my readership um, being the bakery and snack sectors? I think the, you know, historically commodity products have been, you know, managed through hedging and you're, because the, the volatility is, you know, within historic norms, you can appropriately manage your position and people have a good good feeling how they should do that. Last year completely changed that for the egg industry. Um, people, you know, no one predicted the prices to increase the way they did or or at least most people probably did. I'm sure someone out there did. And it's it's changed how people who are procuring large volumes of eggs for bakeries, um, for processing, you know, so outside of the consumer, you know, shelled eggs at the retailer, you know, people who are buying truckloads of liquid eggs are thinking about their cost structure and how can they plan their annual their annual production and know what their costs are going to be when the market is so so volatile. And I think that that you know that one factor is bringing um, is bringing kind of to the top of the list, you know, price stability and supply chain resiliency in a in a fashion that it it's always been there, but it's always, you know, price is always, is always more important. And that, I think it's moving it up the list. So are there other options where you can have prices that are competitive, but they're stable and that you can forecast out for a long period of time? 
with products that don't expire and have a long shelf life where you can actually hedge your position in different ways and gain more comfort. I think those, I think it'll change some of the purchasing habits of the industry, which will open up the um, the queue really for, for, for product development, looking at new options because eggs have been historically, you know, available and cheap. So there hasn't been a big drive to replace them when, mm-hmm. when availability and price change, that's when innovation really starts to happen. So how big is the alternative egg market? Are consumers and producers embracing the alternative eggs? The alternative egg market is really pretty small. When you think about how large the egg market is in general, um, egg alternatives are, you know, almost like infinitely small uh, compared, compared to that. So there's a long way to go, but, you know, you have to start somewhere and there's a lot of traction right now and a lot of interest. So there's really, you know, multiple ways that eggs are used. So there's the consumer using it at home for for cooking, making, you know, scrambled eggs or omelets or using in baking. And, and that's a large use case for eggs, but also a large use case is industrial uses, you know, in bakery, in um, food manufacturing, where the how those eggs are handled and used are a bit different. So you have the breaking stock versus the like shelled eggs that are sold sold at retail. Both of those product products have seen incredible price increases um, this past year and supply chain fragility. And so the alternative egg market is addressing those also separately. So you have products, you know, we have a product, our Acremade egg substitute. There's a few other solutions out there that can be used by the customer at home to, you know, make scrambled eggs or omelets and and do so with, you know, a product that, um, you know, has really strong animal welfare um, attributes and cholesterol free, you know, delivers a high amount of protein, looks, cooks, tastes like an egg. Um, that's great. I think on the on the baking side and in the industrial processing side, there's a handful of solutions out there, and there's some that have been around for for ages, and there's newer ones. Um, mm-hmm. The the egg proteins or the really the egg in processing, ha, it does deliver a lot of functionality, and so it is a tricky thing to substitute, and that's why it has been you know met with limited success in most applications. But with the you know with the the use case and the need case being more relevant there's been more focus on actually bringing forward, you know, egg alternative uh, solutions for, for bakery and processing that can deliver on those functional attributes. And it's maybe not a one ingredient solution where you swap egg for, you know, one, some one other thing, but a, an actual functional solution that can deliver on the foaming and the, the rise and all the different things that an egg can bring. And that's, what's really exciting is if you can do that, and deliver uh, good, you know, good taste, great texture, and competitive, stable price points. Um, that's really compelling for the industry because now they can have something that works technically, works from a price point, but also delivers some some new attributes by potentially allowing the the products to be marketed to people who maybe before were off the table because they have an egg allergy, or um, people who are looking to have more plant forward or plant-based options, you can actually open up your target audience um, to some of these uh, groups that maybe weren't included before. 
Can you tell us about Acomade's egg substitute and what makes it stand out from other replacers available on the market? So Acomade, uh, the, the hero ingredient in it is pea protein. So by leading with pea, we're really creating products that are um, incredibly sustainable. So peas are a legume. They fix nitrogen. They're a great rotational crop. They're one of the lowest carbon footprint um, protein crops out there. And, and so that that is like the first and hero ingredient in the Acremade product, which is uh, quite different compared to other things on the market. So that's one of the things. And then we have two, two different really product lines. So one is the egg substitute and egg patties that are for the, um, you know, for cooking and directly eating. So making scrambles, omelets, um, egg sandwiches, um, things like that. So that product is it's a shelf stable product. So pea protein as the first ingredient, but it's a dry product. So it has a, a really long shelf life. So there's not the concern of spoilage or breakage, you know, while it's on, you know, in the bag on the way home from the grocery store, or maybe it's being shipped to your house, you, you know, you don't lose an egg or two along the way because it is uh, a powder and it's shelf stable. Mm-hmm. And you just mix it with water and you can cook it up in a pan or or even in the microwave to make different egg products. So it looks and tastes like an egg. It's cholesterol free, uh, uh, saturated fat free and has the protein level equivalent of a medium, medium egg. So it's completely non-GMO and free of the top nine allergens, um, at least in the United in the United States, top nine allergens. I, I don't know about all different mm-hmm. places, but all their allergens are. But uh, so that is uh, all those things make it uh, pretty unique. And we also have a, a bakery replacer, which is specifically designed for use in baking. And this also features pea protein. It also uses pea starch, which is an upcycled ingredient. Um, so it's upcycled certified, which is a certificate, a newer certification here in the U.S. that's focused on um, finding ways to eliminate food waste and, and use products that uh, maybe weren't being used in new ways. So we're excited that we're able to incorporate that in the product. And all of these ingredients have been formulated to really uh, deliver against the, the foaming and the emulsification properties of, of an egg in bakery. So we've been able to use and show uh, demonstrations of this product in sponge cakes and cheesecakes and of course like mm-hmm. muffins and and kind of all of your your standard bakery recipes uh, as well as a lot of other uh, you know stretching the use cases but we've really focused on some of the like technical baking uh, around sponge cakes and yellow cakes and pound cakes to make sure that we can deliver the different um, requirements that eggs bring to those products and so we're really excited about it because um, right now these products you know a lot of times people think oh something plant-based is going to be way more expensive and I think that um, underlying assumption is is not true. Uh, when you think about just the efficiency of how do we get protein, uh, protein from plants is the most efficient way to get it, uh, especially once we have scale. Because protein in animals is coming from the plants that they're eating. So it's, you know, plants to the animal to people. We're We're taking the animal out of the middle and making it more efficient. So our egg substitute or our egg replacer in baking is is also cost competitive. So as well, you know, it's non-GMO and top nine allergen free, uh, you know, a ready to eat solution with a long shelf life. It's also extremely competitive price point wise. And that's where we think when you can, if you can address all of those factors, that's how you can make a, a product that that actually can 
can compete and have staying power in the marketplace. How do they um, compare nutritionally to shell eggs? We designed the products to have similar um, or the same amount of protein per egg, but right. they are free of cholesterol, obviously, because they're they're not from animals and they're lower saturated fat. And so the kind of from a macro perspective, they're they're going to have a lower calorie count, similar amount of protein and no cholesterol saturated fat. So for those who are avoiding um, saturated fat in their diets, you know, due to um, various, you know, health conditions, they can be a, a great advantage. And they're, you're going to get the same amount of protein that you would from eating eggs. Your report says that um, they are on a par with speciality egg pricing. What does that mean? Um, I think, well, really when that, that was when we were first launching. And, right. you know, we've been able to to improve our price competitiveness. And, and as prices sit today, we're going to be incredibly competitive, if not cheaper, than your top of the line eggs. So more on par with, uh, you know, on par with more of the kind of conventional or cage-free eggs. Um, but we are also just starting and and small. And so we have a lot of room to grow as we scale. You know, one of the the things that I was I was talking about a little bit earlier is there's been a lot of commitments by the egg industry to go to cage-free farming in the United States. So we have a handful of states that have uh, made commitments to be cage-free by, you know, 2025 or 2026, you know, in that time frame. And we're not on track to do that. And the primary reason is because of the the capital required for the operators to actually make those changes. And when those changes are made, the cost of eggs goes up a lot. So in California, where the um, citizens actually passed a, a law requiring cage-free eggs, the the price of the cage-free eggs in or eggs in general just increased a lot in California compared to other states where that's not in place. So from an animal humane perspective, cage-free is something that everyone is in favor for. But mm -hmm. the reality is is that those changes actually increase the price of eggs. And so this is the same predicament that the you know new and emerging egg alternatives face is that it takes capital and it takes time to actually build a supply chain that um, can compete. But we're starting from a place where we're um, not not impacting animals in that negative way. And so mm -hmm. when you put things on a of a, a more even playing field, I think the the price points are you would compare them a little bit differently, I guess. Right is because mm -hmm. if you're looking at what maybe a $5 uh, dozen eggs now for cage-free, that's a lot different than maybe $2 for, you know, eggs that are coming from animals that are caged. And so right. I think that the, as the market, you know, figures out what, what we're going to require, prices will change as well. And the plant-based industry where we're starting, our prices are, you know, destined to go down, not up. And so I think we're going to have a different trajectory than the egg industry, which which may actually see increasing prices due to the movement to some of these more, um, you know, humane animal systems. But that's just me, um, you know, hypothesizing. So, you know, the, the governments could change their their requirements and maybe ease ease some of those restrictions, which I think which would definitely be a, a, a you know, moving backwards in terms of the animal side of the equation, but would, you know, keep and, and hold prices down for consumers. 
MPs also tick the sustainability box, being the smallest environmental impact. So there's obviously a big win there too. Yeah, huge win. And, you know, farming and agriculture is is also having a lot of a, a, a pretty big moment in the media in terms of how we're thinking about addressing climate change. And, you know, 25% of our global greenhouse gas emissions comes from food. And the majority of that comes from animal agriculture. Um, most crops that we grow are used for animal feed. So one of the, the benefits of peas are, are multifold, but they, because they are legume and they fix their own nitrogen, that means that you don't have to take synthetic chemicals and or synthetic nitrogen and apply it to the field uh, during the growing season. Uh, synthetic nitrogen has uh, been uh, talked about a lot lately because it's incredibly expensive right now due to the, the Ukraine and Russia conflict. A lot of mm-hmm. nitrogen is produced in that region, and so it's it's put some um, supply side pressure on that industry and increased prices. But in addition, uh, synthetic nitrogen is is very volatile. So what that means is when you put it down on the field, a lot of it essentially evaporates, and it turns into uh, nitrous oxide, which is a very potent form of greenhouse gas emission. It's I think 300 times more potent than carbon dioxide. And so the the use of synthetic nitrogen does have a really negative uh, impact on the emissions from agriculture. So peas don't don't require that. In fact, they make their own in the soil and then they leave some nitrogen behind for the next crop. So when used in rotation, they can not only not need nitrogen for themselves, but they can reduce the amount of nitrogen that might be needed for the next crop. And so these kind of like synergistic effects um, can can improve not not just them but the entire rotation and lower the greenhouse gas footprint. And they're a protein crop, so you can get protein as well as carbohydrates for them, and so they really serve multiple purposes. So we're we're excited and um, are huge proponents of peas and have been investing in our supply chain to uh, be able to grow and manufacture peas, uh, you know, in our vertically integrated supply chain for the past 10 years. And we're really building our egg replacer off of this supply chain that we've been investing in for the past decade. Please, can you tell me a bit more about Pyrrhus and the brand? Yeah, so Pyrrhus is the the parent company of AcreMade, which is our egg is our egg brand. And Pyrrhus is a family business. It, my parents started it about 40 years ago, and we are uh, plant protein focused day in day out. So we have been really building the supply chain for pulse proteins for the past 40 years. So starting at the seed, actually designing the the seed genetics that can work in different climates and are climate resilient, having farmers grow those seeds, and then we buy the production and process it through our plants and make proteins and fibers and starches that we uh, work with manufacturers throughout the industry in all different product categories from from milks to meats to snacks to bakery to you name it, um, our proteins and starches are are prevalent throughout the industry. And so we've been excited to see the growth in the industry and really continue to look for ways to improve the the you know the eaters' experience when they're eating plant-based food. So we can make it no compromise. Uh, you know, food that tastes amazing, delivers health attributes and is better for the planet is, I think, a win-win-win. And as we mm-hmm. continue to scale and make those price uh, competitive, it it removes the objections and can really help put us on a pathway to, you know, some of the sustainable 
food targets that, you know, we've set out as a society. Are there any other products in the pipeline for Acomate beyond the egg substitute? Well, we are debuting our, our newest, um, it's still in our egg substitute, but it's a more convenient option. And we're going to be debuting that at Expo West and it's uh, a scramble cup. So it is a, uh, think about like an egg omelet in a cup, you add water and stick it in the microwave for 90 seconds and you, and you're ready to go because our egg substitute is shelf stable. It can be kind of prepackaged like, like that and make a super easy way to have a two, kind of a two egg scramble, uh, convenient in the morning, you know, no fuss and the texture and taste is amazing. So we have, uh, three different flavor profiles, like a, a veggie omelet and a plant-based protein one, um, and a couple others. And we're excited to show, be able to show people. Where can both consumers and people in the industry be able to obtain your egg substitute? So our egg substitute is in retail in in and around the Minneapolis area. So our retail footprint has been very focused locally for now. Um, our egg substitute is available on our website as well as on Amazon. And our egg replacer is a B2B uh, solution. And so that you, they can request samples uh, directly on our website and then we can we can follow up as we ship those we ship that direct i would just you know share with your with your readers that the the market is continuing to evolve and so if they if they've tried egg replacers in their products in the past um there's been there's continuing to be innovation that is making uh, plant-based alternatives uh, amazing from a taste and texture and functionality and to give it another try because i think there's a, a real play and a real opportunity to drive price stability and surprise and delight customers in a new way, uh, more, now more than ever.